Thank you and welcome to all of our new supporters on Patreon. This is an independently produced show, written, researched, produced, edited, distributed, and promoted by us, Carolyn, Kristen, and Michelle, and paid for out of our own pockets because it's important to us. But you can help us pay the bills by clicking the Patreon link on our website, poppreservationist.com, or by going to our link in bio on Instagram and finding the Patreon link in our link tree. It's one of the best ways for you to tell us that you like what you hear, so we can keep on trucking. Thank you, and enjoy the show. We must lift our bus, because (laughs) it's it's dragging on the floor. I must lift up my bus. Exactly. (laughs) Hello world, it's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who know all the categories of gum, hubba bubba, bubblicious, bubble yum, and big daddy. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving the event we've been waiting for since puberty, the theatrical release of the film adaptation of Judy Blume's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Welcome to season... We had to think because we couldn't remember what number it was. (laughs) Listeners, we couldn't remember if it was season nine or ten, but Mm -hmm. we have done some research and have come to the conclusion it's season nine. That's a lot of seasons. I know. And seasons don't mean the same thing that they do that they did, you know, in 1980. It used to be that a season was from September to May. Now a season is whenever we want it to be. So it's hard to keep track. We can. I mean, like you said, I always say to um, us, Kristen, like we're our own bosses, so we can determine whatever a season is. And Mm -hmm. we're in season nine. Listeners, you know, happy surprise for you. We're starting the season a week earlier than planned for a very important reason, because just three days ago on April 28th, 2023, for those of you who are listening in the future, something big happened at the movies and we want to talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. We do. Because we were lucky enough to get to see an early screening of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And what made it even more special was that we got to see it with some PCPS followers and listeners. And to me, that made all the difference in seeing this movie was having it as this collective experience and having it with people. Some of these people we had never met before, right? Yeah, I mean, we right. just uh-huh. knew them through social media. And Judy Bloom brought us together. And it was like we were friends right off the bat. You have to see it with people. You really, and and preferably with age mates or something, somebody that you went through something with. It was such a joy to be sitting next to people who were as excited about it as I was. Mm -hmm. I loved seeing the um, woman there with her daughter, who was probably about 13. That was really cute. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to see it again in a few weeks, uh, in a couple of weeks with my older daughter when she's in town because... I remember how excited I was when she first read the book and we could talk about it. And she has such fond memories of the book too. So I think she's actually going with friends 
as well. But then we were like, we have to see it together. So that'll be really fun. Listeners, if you listened to our encore of our Judy Bloom episode, which was episode five, episodes five and six, we did a two-parter. And we just replayed those a couple of weeks ago. And if you listen to it, you hear us saying... And we're so excited after so many years, there's going to be a movie and we talk about it. And that was two whole years ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And it finally happened. Yeah. And here we got to go see it with, like Carolyn said, with um, our friends, our listeners, our new friends. And it was, it was well worth the wait. Yeah, it was. And to ha- to be with these people that we've never met before, but you're instantly friends because you have the same experiences and the same knowledge. Right. And we went out into the lobby after the movie was over and we all gathered around the Margaret poster and we took video of the group of us going, we must, we must, <laughs> we must, we must increase, increase our bus. And it was so funny that every single person was all in. Everyone was like, yes, let's do this. Like, we all know that's such a pivotal moment in our childhood. It's such an iconic thing that Judy Bloom created, this we must, we must. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 part of the pop culture lexicon. Totally. For sure. Yes. And I thought it was also funny, and listeners, you might be thinking this too, but several of our listeners, Kristen included, was were saying, oh, we don't know if we want to, we did this a little too much when we <laughs> when we were younger, or like, I want to give some, give some, give some away. I want to give some. I must decrease my bus. Yes, I must decrease my bus. Or mine might be, I, I must, or we must lift our bus because yeah. it's, it's dragging on the floor. I must lift up my bus. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I thought too, did you guys feel, could you feel when we were all gathering in the lobby, I felt like almost like a buzzing excitement between all of us. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was like we were connected by this electric current of some kind. Yes. Kind of this giddiness. Did you guys cry at the end of the movie? Mm. Teared up. Definitely, just because the end is so poignant and um, between the mom and the daughter. You know how important that moment is at the end for Margaret, but seeing her mom and yeah, it gave me all the feels. I definitely yeah. teared mm-hmm. up. I think um, I would say definitely teary. And also it was just because this event happened. It was like we'd thought about it. I just saw it in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. Again, um, I talk about it a lot in this podcast, but it was, you know, the younger Carolyn and the adult Carolyn kind of yeah. together at this moment thinking, look, you know, here we are and all of that. So when you said all the feels, Michelle, definitely. It was yeah. um, a bunch of feels <laughs> that I'm not even sure I could describe with words, but they yeah. did bring tears to my eyes for sure. I think I think I was the same as you, Carolyn, in that I might have been crying for for that reason where I was in, inhabiting two different places at once and Aww. that this happened, this really happened. Mm-hmm. Because the thing that happens at the end, I think everybody who's read the book knows that at the end she gets her period. Woohoo. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but, what? She's so but, she's but she's so excited. But she's so excited. And so I don't think that I was crying for that reason. I think I was crying for the being together and that and then I'm watching this on the screen after so much time and so much happiness for Judy Bloom that she made this happen finally at the age of 85. And I found myself like kind of not being able to stop crying. <laughs> I just like kept crying. The well, credits are rolling and I'm still crying. You were, you were. She was still wiping. Yeah. Kristen's yeah. still wiping yeah. her face. But you know what? I agree with you guys. It was it was also one of the feels of all the feels we were feeling was absolutely that that this book and this character have lived inside of us. And I mean lived, taken up yeah. space inside of us 
for, I'm not going to do the math now, but for a lot of years. And I felt like watching it come to life on screen was, it was really emotional. It was just really an emotion Mm -hmm. that I don't know, like you said, Carolyn, I don't know that I can describe it. And in just a minute, we definitely want to get into the reviews this movie has gotten. But before that, let's give it our own review. Let's give it the PCPS review. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's true, this book, like I just said, has lived in us for so long. This was a big deal to watch it. So what do you guys think? How how did you like it? Um, I was so relieved, I got to tell you. I, it could have gone so wrong. And there were many attempts to have get this movie made Um in previous generations and thank God it didn't because I think now is the time. Um, mostly because it was in the hands of a woman. I mean, think about that. Mm -hmm. If it had been made in 1979, it would have been Aaron Spelling making that movie. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have boobs or a uterus. He's never had a period. In the hands of two women, the writer and the director. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I walked away from it feeling that it was, I'm going to give it an A plus. And a lot of the reason that Mm -hmm. I'm giving it an A plus is because of very personal feelings. I don't want to oversell it to you. It's not going to win an Oscar, but that's not what its purpose is. Um, I'm giving it an A plus because it is exactly the same as the way Judy Bloom writes. It is straightforward and simple in its language. Mm-hmm. And it gets his message. It gets the message across and connects with your heart immediately and very in a very simple fashion. Exactly. Oh my gosh! And exactly, I think the key, Kristen, is the timing. At least for me, is because yeah. we, the age that we are, that we could appreciate. I mean, honestly, listeners, uh, this is my opinion, but I think it was written more for us and these <laughs> the Gen X people than mm-hmm. it was for really anybody else. Um, But that just, the timing, this couldn't have been done at at any other time. Yes, because of the women, but yes, because of the audience, I think, the the demographic, the people that would really get the whole picture. I'm not saying that it's not entertaining and Mm -hmm. hopeful and all those things to totally different ages, different sexes, whatever. It's so much more meaningful, I think, to us, the first generation to have read it, mm-hmm. and um, and the age we are now when it is on the screen. So um, for me, it was an A-plus for that mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. It just hit me at the right time in my life. And yeah. I left feeling so hopeful, which is just a thing I want to feel these days, you guys. It I was know, just uplifting true. and, yeah. Yeah, and I agree. Um, I'm definitely going to give it an A plus as well. And I don't want to even repeat. You guys both just put exa- exactly into the words I would have, especially talking about how it was presented very much like a Judy Bloom book. It mm-hmm. was very simple. In fact, probably the first ten minutes, I just because <laughs> longtime listeners, you know that we all um, feel this way. We all want to make sure everybody's having a good time. Is everybody happy? I was sort of worried about other people in the theater that might not have read the book. However, at this pre-screen, clearly everybody had. But I was worried, like, oh no, if are, are do you think some people aren't aren't getting it? Like aren't like maybe aren't liking it because it's not that deep. It's very simple. Like I was like, oh no, I hope everybody's understanding. Which actually brought up a good question and made me wonder. Do I think people, and Carolyn, you just kind of touched on this, but do I think people who don't know the book would like it? as much as we do. And my conclusion was, I'm not really sure. Like, I think for sure it is such a cute and fun movie and it resonates with adolescent girls. It resonates with all of us who grew up with the book. But 
I also feel like if you didn't know and love this character and have internalized and felt her story for all these years like we have, you might not, I guess, appreciate it as much as we who have loved and internalized this book all these years do. You absolutely would walk away and go, that was a cute movie. That was a cute movie. But if you had never, Mm -hmm. ever been exposed to this book, that might be all you think. That was a cute movie. However, I think even just having read and loved this book once, you walk out going, that was Margaret. That was it. That was was Sylvia. That was all of it. That was, you know, that was Nancy. That makes me wonder about the the age of the person who wrote the review for The Daily Beast. Because the headline of their review is, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. A Judy Blue movie so good, it's a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) And it says, an instant coming-of-age masterpiece is how The Daily Beast described it. And so... You can find other things around the around the interwebs that aren't quite so enthusiastic, and I wonder if that difference is because of the age of the people. I bet. I bet it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ones that I was latching onto and so happy for all the people involved in the movie were the the one, like you just said, I love the movie, so good, it's a miracle. Josh Spiegel called it the first great film of 2023. Yes. An absolute joy, a triumph. I mean, all these little, these just little catchphrases coming at you that just yeah. fill my heart and make me so happy. Um, I do have a question. Um, you know, wh- whose review do you think matters the most? Judy Blooms, right? Yeah, and seriously. I love that after she saw it a couple of weeks ago at the at the big premiere they had, she said, "How many authors can say I think that the movie is better than the book?" <laughs> <laughs> and I've got some theories on why she maybe said that too. Well, that begs a question. I think that I would love the three of us to discuss just for a minute. Well, I can say for me, it's um, I don't even think it's fair to compare the book and the movie in right. a way. Okay, good. Um, and why I think she, this is my theory on what, on why she maybe um, even liked it more is because um, in the movie, and I think this is pretty accurate, they um, flesh out uh, Barbara, the mother's character, yeah. a lot more than so we ha- that is in the book, rightly so. I mean, the book is for um, you know middle graders, and for us going in and seeing it as um, women and mothers and people that had to make those choices. And having just watched the Judy Bloom documentary, it becomes very apparent in her story that that move to suburbia and being a suburban mom, but also having this other calling for something else, real she really struggled with that. Oh and God, I really right. think that it's totally right, yeah. Maybe when she saw the movie, she saw herself in that. I don't know how much she was a part of fleshing that character out with the screenwriter or, you know, how much there is a you know, working together on things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of those scenes, they didn't happen in the book that happened in the movie with, with Barbara. But, um, that's why I think it can be a both and, you know, it's yeah. not, cause it's not necessarily the things that really struck me besides the story of Margaret are, was the story of Barbara, which didn't happen to me when I read it and, you know, and no, it wasn't, of course not. that storyline yeah. wasn't there. So. But now it's important to us. Right, exactly. I've heard some people say that, but I did take that in when I was a kid. Well, of course her mother you did. did. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, everyone, but, 
you know, our little suffragette feminist out there with as a toddler right. with their picket signs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I re- well, I do, d- and it may not have been fleshed out in the way that it was in the movie, but right. in but the seeds are dropped in the story For of sure. her mom now becoming. Um, having a new life and struggling with it in the suburbs and not having a job and wondering right. what she's supposed to do. And she's an artist. And um, I want to add that that reviewer from the Daily Beast also said this recreation joins Paddington in the canon of rare adaptations that are even better than their already stellar original stories. Um, and in addition to that, um, to pile on to the the um, comments about the mom, who is played by Rachel McAdams, the review on Robert e- RogerEbert.com says, ultimately, this film belongs to Rachel McAdams, whose incandescent performance should be remembered not just as, as end-of-the-year lists start to roll in, but also as perhaps her most accomplished performance yet. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I think this was such a different type of role for her, and she yeah. actually really made that character so three-dimensional um yes yeah, mm-hmm. right coincidentally variety hated the rachel mcadams storyline <gasps> yeah did, so you can see there are two two different groups of people coming at this from a different way and they hated it because it wasn't in the book other people oh. liked it because it was a good story and rachel mcadams did it so well and did i tell you guys i got multiple texts from people after the movie saying that that margaret's mom had some serious Kristen vibes <laughs> I could see it from I the think it's hair. mostly like the frizzy hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we read this book originally, we were Margaret's age. So right, we identified right. with Margaret. Those little children living in us still identify with Margaret. But now knowing that most of the demographic who's going to be exactly. going and enjoying and flocking to see this movie are now in their 40s and 50s, they needed to really have something that we could identify with, right? Yeah. We loved mm-hmm. Abby Ryder Fortson, but our current selves aren't going to identify with her um, right. as as much. But speaking of Abby Ryder Fortson, I mean, listen, Abby Ryder Fortson is the girl who played the actress who played Margaret. And you guys, let's face it. She had some really big shoes to fill. Yeah, she did. She auditioned for this um, role when she was 11, turning 12. This was in February um, and early March of 2020. She's 15 now. And producer Julie Ansel says she knew immediately that Abby Ryder Fortson was the perfect girl to bring Margaret to life before she even opened her mouth. She says she looked at her face and immediately fell in love. But they had to then, of course, get that past Judy Bloom. They sent Judy Bloom her tape, and she was immediately all in as well. So let's talk a little bit about Abby's portrayal of Margaret. Do we think it honored Margaret? Oh, she was perfect. <laughs> Even though, yeah. you know, the big controversy is that the purple cover that we all know had a blonde-haired Margaret on the, on the cover. But when I was reading it, I never pictured that blonde-haired girl. I pictured Abby Ryder Fortson. I really did. I don't know why. Well, subsequent covers, she has dark hair. You know, she doesn't yeah. always mm-hmm. have blonde hair, but right. you're right. Yeah. I've In my mind, Margaret's always been blonde. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it was such an honest portrayal. I think she had so much vulnerability. You yeah. guys, that girl speaks with her eyes. She well, speaks yeah, with she her eyes. she had to. When you mm-hmm. think of how much um, internal dialogue is happening. So, you know, we hear that the, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Like her speaking. 
over scenes, but she's not actually speaking in that scene. Her oh, character isn't. Point. So yeah. you're really relying on her eyes and her facial expressions. And as we've talked about before, that to us really signifies a great artist is somebody who can uh, get all of those emotions and feelings across just through their face facial expressions. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. she did that so well. That has so to be well. so hard. I don't well, know how I would do that. I love to talk. How could you just I know, get it all across right? in your face? Mm-hmm. Listen to this quote from the writer, Kelly Freeman Craig said, Margaret is a very interior character and is not the center of attention. Very often in a group, she isn't saying much. She's just hanging back thinking and feeling a bunch of things. And it all has to read on her face. When we auditioned her at age 11, Abby could do all of that in a way where you were just with her. You didn't want to look away from her eyes. And I agree. I was Mm -hmm. mesmerized Mm -hmm. by her expressions. Yeah. Even in the still photos, you can see like when she's look, she's got her hands folded and she's looking up doing, she's supposed to be talking to God and the eyes looking up and you can, and her eyes have a special shape that show uncertainty or pleading. It's just a still photo. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abby says, the minute I walked out of the audition, I felt like I was Margaret. She auditioned, like I said, not long before her 12th birthday. You guys, she brought in cotton balls and stuffed them in her bra and did the little dance. You guys have who haven't seen the movie yet, she does the cutest dance when she stuffs her bra. She did that for her audition. She said, I think Margaret came for me at the right time in my life. She hadn't read the book. You guys, she auditioned for this role without wow. even knowing what Margaret was. And she said, oh my gosh, how did someone write down this experience? This is it. Like I'm going through this exact same stuff that Margaret's going through. So she got it. Um, And on rogerebert.com, critic Matt Fagerholm says, are you there? God, it's me. Margaret is easily my favorite film released thus far this year. And Abby's portrayal of the titular middle schooler is simply astonishing. It is here where Abby cements her status as one of the most gifted actors of her generation, anchoring every scene with the complex emotions that register on her expressive face. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she's going to do a lot more mm-hmm. that she registers on her face. A lot of it is just how, what she does with her eyes, how she shapes her right. eyes. It's so interesting. And remember, well, and Kristen, um, I was just going to say it's on that big screen. It's different than probably when it's going to be streaming and stuff. But when you see her so big, like when we saw Christy McNichol on yeah. the big screen mm-hmm. recently in Little Darlings, and you really get to see those eyes and that face, and they're larger than life. It's That's just super powerful. It is powerful. Yeah. You can get so much more out of being, having that kind of proximity. And that's why Mm -hmm. I'm kind of sad about, you know, theater, theater going is not the same Mm -hmm. as it used to be. And everybody wants to stream it at home. I realize all of our TVs are now 70 inches, but, (laughs) but still, it's not the same. It's well, Abby Ryder Fortson um, is, I mean, I think this is just gonna, this is going to kind of explode her career. She has actually yeah. had, she has been an actress um, for most of her life. Um, she was the daughter in the Ant-Man movies. She was in a, the movie A Dog's Journey. And we can't talk about casting without mentioning the brilliant casting choice of Kathy Bates oh, as Grandma geez. Sylvia oh Simon. My God. What yes. did you guys yes. think of that? So, so perfect. She was the perfect Sylvia. And I, I, when I pictured Sylvia in my mind, 
when I was reading it, I pictured Mother Jefferson. Um, again, that does not make sense because Margaret is white and Mother <laughs> Jefferson still, is I black. I get what you're saying. The, yeah. <laughs> the character and, yes, yes and that's the what I delivery pictured. and presence and all that. Yeah. But she was just so sharp and kind of acerbic, but so full of love for Margaret. Yes. Like she just couldn't get enough of her granddaughter. Oh, it was so, so sweet. I, uh, I loved that relationship and I loved Kathy. She just, her timing too is just impeccable. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I thought she was perfect for the role Mm -hmm. um, for sure. I want to bring up another character and casting choice because I left that theater and I just wanted to talk to everybody about Nancy. Oh my God, Nancy. So that actress, (laughs) Nancy Wheeler. Yes. Her Mm -hmm. name is Elle Graham. And Honestly, I got goosebumps watching Nancy on there because the Nancys in my middle school life looked just like that Nancy. Like, did everybody's Nancy? Everybody had one. Did everybody's Nancy have stringy blonde hair that quite (laughs) couldn't make it? You know, they tried with the barrette, but it wasn't quite there. And, And the way they walked, kind of like their, I don't know, their chest was out a little and they just kind of had like a little kind of attitude and her body type. She was just... Yeah, anyway, but kind of arms of akimbo at the same yes, time. Yes, like if yes. you could be confident and have arms akimbo at the same time, that exactly. would be Nancy Wheeler. It she did, a, and she great. did such a great job of that kind of false sense of confidence. Like yes. when you see how confident she was, she was a great little actress. And man, mm-hmm. did she embody that character exactly oh. how I had always envisioned Nancy yeah. with that kind of false confidence where you you don't like her, but then you like her, but then you don't like her, but then you do mm-hmm. like her, and you then you get to, like to the you. end and yeah. you you feel sorry for her, but man, you don't like her. Yeah. And <laughs> she did such a great job. In that that very important twist, right in yes. the mm-hmm. in the bathroom at the restaurant. Gosh, you guys she know did what such we're a talking good job, about, right? And you guys, this is a little girl actress. Again, listeners, I hope you know what we're talking about because th- this could go a lot of different ways. How do you respond when you get your period in a restaurant? Um, do you, and she was so subtle and so frantic all at the same time, and she just starts crying. But but Margaret is doesn't know exactly what to do and she needs help, but she doesn't want to let Margaret know that she needs help and somehow she gets help. It was pretty masterful. How could, how you could be like subtle and crying at the same time and frantic and subtle. I don't know, but she did it. And it's a good example when she comes out of the stall of what just one of a million of Abby, uh, of Margaret's Abby uh, Ryder Fortson's face expressions Nancy has them too. And the way they just stare at each other, but the way that Margaret's expression says it all, oh, like yes. every, you know, mm-hmm. exactly all the complicated things she's feeling towards her, Very you know, I'm using air quotes around friend, yes, Nancy. Right. Um, she's confused. She's hurt. She's mad. And she's it's, jealous because there's this contest, exactly. essentially. Yeah. There's a contest yeah. to see who's going to get their period first. Yeah. I want to talk about Sylvia just a little bit more. So our friend Nina from the podcast, Dear Nina, Conversations About Friendship, who has also written a lot about Jewish life, had just one complaint. And it's not really a complaint about the movie because it actually comes from the book. Um, And she's like, I can't criticize Judy Bloom, can I? But reading it as an adult and seeing it on the screen as an adult, again, a different experience than doing it when you're a child. And so, well, okay. So she said, this is in her Substack newsletter. This was the headline. But Sylvia... Why did you bring Margaret to synagogue services? (laughs) 
So Margaret is, of course, curious about religion, and she doesn't. Her parents have told her that she can choose, and so she's just trying to try out all these things. And Sylvia is Jewish, and she very badly wants Margaret to be Jewish. So I'm going to read you what Nina wrote. She said. When Margaret, whose dad is a non-practicing Jew and whose mom is a non-practicing Christian, embarks on a journey to explore each religion and choose for herself, I couldn't help but be super annoyed when Sylvia, the one Jewish role model in Margaret's life, brings her beloved granddaughter to Shabbat morning services of all places. The child has had zero Jewish exposure, yet Sylvia brings her to sit and hear Hebrew that means nothing to her, leaving her lost and bored. It took a lot for me not to yell at the screen, not services, Sylvia! (laughs) with services and then she goes on to say so much of jewish life takes place in the home how about a warm boisterous shabbat dinner i wish i could give margaret fresh challah chicken soup roasted chicken and potatoes and some great conversation i'm not saying she'd be all in on the jewish mission but at least she'd have a chance of leaving that event with a good taste in her mouth literally and metaphorically (laughs) someone get that girl a slice of babka But I wrote back to Nina because I was like, I think I know why Sylvia did that. I know why. I cracked the code. Because although church and temple services are not the same, my grandma loved church so much, so much that she did not know that it was boring and borderline intolerable for me. (laughs) And so when I'm watching the movie and I'm watching Kathy Bates's face during Shabbat services, she's just like, oh, she's all aglow. Oh, she's just having so much fun in this long, boring service. And I laughed out loud. Because yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that's Grammy. That's well, Grammy I, at church. And, and on that same note, what I was responding with is when my mom used to take my girls to church, just the three of them. Oh, God. She was Sylvia as she walked in. My granddaughters are here. These are my right. granddaughters. Yeah. This is my granddaughter. This is, this is, this, look at my granddaughters are here today, everyone. Did everyone see my granddaughters are here with me? And that's yes. what Sylvia's doing. And that's what I resonated with was the whole that my mom was just so proud to show off her granddaughter. So that could perhaps too be why Sylvia was like, oh no, we're going to service. We're going to temple. I got to show her off. That's a really good point. I got to show her off. And your your imitation of that is not really an exaggeration. That's kind of what Kathy Bates did. This is my granddaughter. Yes, it's my granddaughter. (laughs) I just loved you guys. I think seeing the relationship between Margaret and Sylvia, as well as Margaret and her mother, actually come to life were my favorite parts of the movie. Because I... They came to life in a way that I had imagined them. But actually seeing it happen, it was just, it was everything. I cannot wait to yeah. see it again. I know. Yeah. I know. Let's talk a little bit about the, the setting of the movie, because I think one of the brilliant decisions that they made is to actually set the movie in 1970 when the book was written. And I don't think that would have been the case had they made it in another era. Yeah, oh, you're probably right. Could they have? I mean, do you think that was even a consideration? I don't think so. Okay, I just good. can't imagine. I think the 1970s setting, the... It was so nostalgic for us. It mm-hmm. was um, it was the clothes. It was the hair. It was the kitchen. It was the mm-hmm. telephones. It was the bikes that they were riding. And it yeah. adds so much more context and interest, I think. It's visual interest and it's nostalgic for us. Yeah, I think that the interior of Margaret's house for me was spot on. Now, in 1970, I was only, you know, one. However, that style, you know, kind of... It just kind of filtered through, through, Mm -hmm. carried through the 70s because for me, it was the wicker plant stands in front of the window. (laughs) And it was, one of them was kind of shaped like a heart. 
And then <laughs> one was kind of spiraled and there were spider plants and so many were, spider plants. There were like, yes. you know, chiflera. I forgot even that's the oh, word. Chiflera. Mo- chiflera. Sh- yeah, thank you. My mm-hmm. mom, we had plants <laughs> yes. everywhere. Yes. Plants, when I think about it too, just growing up, they were like part of the decor. They weren't even yes. like an accessory. We had one of those terrariums, those plastic <gasps> ones with the big glass, like, or plastic globe on the top. You, you know, the white. Yes. Yes. My mom got, my dad got for my mom for Christmas one year, <laughs> as you can imagine. I'm not sure it was on her list, but dad got it anyway. <laughs> right. Last minute. And, you know, it was a piece of furniture, basically. Yes. I mean, it was prominently in our formal living room, even for oh. a, for a long time. And I was amazed. I would just go stare at that thing because you know it created its own condensation, so yeah. you never had well, to water the plants. And it and stunk. It did not yes. smell well, a little yeah, dank. It grew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it stunk. Well, the other um, piece of of the set that really resonated with me when I saw it was um, was the webbed lawn furniture. And, oh my god! Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I could feel it. I can feel the it now chairs. as we're talking about it. Yeah. yeah. So there were people in the lawn chairs. There's legs. a scene where yeah. there's a chase lounge in the webbing. Um, I won't yes. say where it, when all that happens and he's trying to make it go back. I mean, I can remember those. And it's the long arms. one. It's the one yeah. that's like in yeah. three parts, like the kind yeah. that Snoopy tries to unfold at Thanksgiving. Right. It's yes. this long chase lounge, but it's that webbing. And you know, sometimes it would come like start to fray. It, and yes. Like, oh, and it, it itches and scratches the back of your legs. Yes. Pick at it, you. like pull a thread. Yes. Yeah. And then I remember being young and thinking like when a kind of larger person would sit in one, I'd get kind of nervous. Like, especially if it was threadbare in some spots, yeah. I'd be like yeah. kind of taking a little bit of um, um, an inhale, like, oh, I hope they're okay. But yes, when I saw that, um, that was that web yeah. lawn furniture, it was just. Oh and the way gosh, he yes. picked it up was yes. just, that was yeah. very reminiscent. Like yes. he picks it up and he shakes it out just like yes. Snoopy. Yes. And didn't he have a yes. TV dinner? I think he had a TV yeah, dinner. Yes, yeah. they got guys, the TV dinner, yeah. Did you notice at the first, I think it was at the first meeting, the girls' meeting, didn't they all have cans of tab? Yes, yes they, they did. Because I was like, they oh, had tab. the pop top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so great job. So, the kind that you so take off and throw I away. I wish we had, we don't know, whoever you are, set decorator, or if that's what you're called, you did a great job. How much fun would that be oh to gather gosh. all that stuff? And just like, just the, somebody must have been in charge of the kitchen. Like, you're going to have the living room, you're going to have the kitchen, you get Margaret's bedroom. The kitchen, oh, there's so much opportunity in the kitchen just with the bakeware, right? Mm-hmm. All of the corningware. It was that white corningware with the little blue etched design on it. That's and the cookbook the- when she's cooking. Yes. And oh my gosh, yes. It was mm-hmm. the little, little things that mm-hmm. just made it feel so right. And there's so many telephones in this movie too there's a lot of because you got to call sylvia sylvia's calling from florida and so you just get the opportunity to see a telephone in a way that you don't see anymore tv shows don't have telephones anymore Mm -mm. and you don't hear them ring when people just show up like um there's a scene where um nancy's mother stops by like she's not didn't text before and like are you home i'm gonna stop by like when people would just ring your doorbell and if you open the door you were there and if you weren't you weren't, or you know, mm-hmm. even your friends who would. Can Carolyn come out and play? Can there Carolyn wasn't like, play? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll but that brings up a good point. When that first scene happened, when they're unpacking and the doorbell rings, yes. and they're like, they kind of Margaret and her mom kind of look at each other like, who would that be? Because they just moved in. You guys, and I'm not even going to say recently. I'm going to say like as many as the past ten years when my kid, when both girls still lived at home. If our doorbell rang, they like hit the. <laughs> floor and like army <laughs> crawled and hid in the family room. Yes. And 
I would be like, what the heck is going on? God forbid they were home alone. We would get emergency mm-hmm. calls if my husband and I were out at dinner. Someone just rang the doorbell. Oh and I'm God. like, it's okay. Just it's don't FedEx. answer it. Yeah, or just don't answer it. Who do you think it is? I'm like, I don't know. Because nobody rings your doorbell anymore. No. no. Only FedEx. And so nobody when, rings it except So FedEx. when that scene happened and she's like kind of shrugged and she just goes running off to answer what? the door. Yeah. I had a moment in myself where I was like, oh, Margaret's going to answer the door. Like, what has happened? Like, this isn't realistic. Margaret wouldn't answer the door. That wouldn't happen. And I was like, oh, yeah, 1970. It would have absolutely happened. I mean, seriously, in 1970, your doorbell probably got rung three or four times a day. And you answered sure. the door. But and you then you went door. and you answered it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Of Whether it was kids coming to play or a neighbor who needs a cup of sugar, your, or the your paper doorbell boy ring, or the paper boy needing his yes. $2. Yeah. 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 There's a cameo by Judy Bloom and her husband, George Cooper. We're not going to tell you where it is because it'll be like a game. But when <laughs> it's so funny, when we're sitting there in the theater and Judy Bloom goes walking by, the whole theater went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was this collective moment. I loved it. I loved it. Was it. So cute. It was precious. Okay, I'll give I you a clue. Up. She's wearing a hat. Yes. Yes. It's so adorable. It's so adorable. Yeah. There were some times, too, where I have to say there were lines that were pulled directly from the book that immediately lit up the synapses, where I knew it was word for word. Um, two that I can remember off the top of my head was when Sylvia um, flies to um, Margaret's house from Florida after Margaret's Florida trip gets canceled, and she opens the door and she says, well, if you can't come to Florida, I'll just bring Florida to you. Mm-hmm. And of course, she's with her man friend, yes. Mr. Binneman, rhymes, rhymes with, with cinnamon. cinnamon. <laughs> And it just felt so, like, I yes. could see the type in front of my face when they said those oh, words. Yeah. I mean, well done. The screenwriter, again, yeah. um, we just, we just, I just, we appreciate it. Like, yeah. you just appreciate it. And it's like, you know, the screenwriter is not our age. I don't have, I, I honestly have no idea. I'm going to assume the screenwriter is younger than us because everybody is. But... <laughs> Like all doctors we see now, right? Yeah. You guys, all our yeah. kids' teachers, everyone's younger than us. But she knew she had a big job, and that job mm-hmm. was not to disappoint us. I mean, she did not want oh any God, part the pressure. Of, of the, you know, the Gen X women mm-hmm. coming down yes, on her. That's right. We're, we, we're not nice when we're angry. Right. Because you know why? We don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you didn't want to disappoint. I mean, I'm sure that. You didn't want to disappoint Judy Bloom either. Oh, I mean, those are some. Yeah, I guess that's probably know, more important. To- Can you imagine yeah. disappointing Judy Bloom? That would my heart would hurt so badly I couldn't recover. Oh, no. Gosh. Well, either. one thing the film has ignited on social media is the sharing of Margaret moments. Hashtag Margaret moments is what you'll see on Twitter and Instagram all over the place. And this is people. It started out with people from the movie, um, people in the cast who would face front video, share a moment from their own personal experience, from their own life, where they sort of felt like Margaret. And then that sort of grew and it spread and other people started sharing their Margaret moments too. Yeah. And so we asked our followers and listeners to share some of their Margaret moment stories with us as well. I think the ultimate Margaret moment happens every day as I run into people I know, like right now, because when we were 12, we asked everybody if they had gotten their periods. And now in my (laughs) 50s, I ask everyone, are you still getting a period? (laughs) It's exactly the same. Oh, for sure. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. 
you know, when I've been thinking a lot of, about this, and as you guys know, and our longtime listeners know, I moved a ton as a child. I went to 10 different schools in 12 years. So I had Margaret moments yearly, basically. Um, but the one that always comes up and that you guys know well is when I was a new kid in the fourth grade and I puked up the Thanksgiving lunch <laughs> in the library. I mean, I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of that, you guys. This is probably <laughs> the fifth or eighth time I've said it on the podcast, but that is a Margaret moment. I yeah, was out of place. I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. Um, I have another Margaret moment in ninth grade where, you know, I had recently got my period. Girls, we know when you first get your period, it's not going to come four weeks later. You don't know when it's yeah, going to come. No idea. Four weeks passed, it hadn't come. Maybe seven weeks past it hadn't come. Maybe nine weeks past it. I didn't know. But what I do know is that I was at one of our after football game dances. Um, and I am rocking out to safety dance, like a lot of you know, right? And I happened to be wearing, wearing white pants. No. And the lights were down. And it was great. I remember dancing with a certain boy. Fast dancing. Um, but, you know, like I've told you guys before, we thrashed ourselves around. The lights were off in the gym. We just let loose. And I got home and all up my butt on my white pants and oh, and my crotch, it was red. The only thing I can hope is that, you know, my friends would have, hopefully, they would have told me. So I just always was like, oh, please let that have happened on the way home because you don't know when you're going to get it. And so um, that has stuck with me. Like that was, oh, I was horrible. mortified. Oh, I was mortified when I got home. How long had imagine. that been there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my sister reminded me, so I talked with her yesterday about her Margaret moments, and I'll share a big one in, um, in a little bit. But a few things she had reminded me of was the importance of, of friends in that exact situation. Yeah. She talked about, mm -hmm. like, when you were in class and you thought maybe it had happened, you weren't sure, you waited till, like, you, your best friend stayed behind, and you waited till the class shuffled out, and then you were like, Pretended you had to tie your shoe while your friend stood behind <laughs> oh, you God, yes. or you, you know, shuffled out the door at a certain length and your friend would, you know, give you the thumbs up or whatever. And then hopefully if it was a thumbs down and you needed to address it, you had, as my sister said, a sweater or a jacket that you could conveniently tie mm -hmm. around your waist. But you relied on your friends to, to let yeah, you know and yeah. hopefully not laugh at you or. Mm -hmm. The zip up sweatshirt in sixth and seventh grade, super important. That I mean, just keep shirt. it on your person yes. at all times. Keep basically. it in your locker yeah. all the time. And I'm now one of we those... keep them because we might get chilly. You never right. know when you get chilly, so make sure you have a. <laughs> or you're having a hot flash, you got to whip it off. You whip it off. You got to be able true. to get it off quickly. I am one of those few people who didn't tell my mom when I got my period. <laughs> really, <laughs> I didn't, and it, for months, for months and months and months. Oh wow. And yeah, she found out and and she confronted me about it. I mean, I think what I was doing basically was taking my underwear and stuffing in the back of my underwear drawer. And oh, so yeah, <laughs> sorry, Linda. And so she found it. And she's like, hmm, "Guess what I found? Would you like to tell me about that?" And so she said, "How long has this been going on?" And I lied <laughs> and I said, <laughs> "I think it had been like six months." I think, oh, last month it just happened. And so she's probably learning right now that it had really been like six months. <laughs> and I remember being so. My biggest concern was that she was going to blab to everybody as if this was good news, right. right? Like I had just won the spelling bee or something. She's a woman. And so I exactly. I was so afraid. And so my my request was her to her was, "Don't tell Grammy." Please mm. don't tell Grammy. The same Grammy who loved church. Well, I've got to share the first time I got mine. And here's something else I want to bring up that I did not identify with Margaret in. 
I didn't kind of want to get it. And once I, I got it, not. oh, I did not. and no. I was not like calling my friends or whatever. <laughs> I immediately, I went into a depression. I swear to goodness, oh. it was like under the covers with them pulled over my head. Um, but when I got it, my mom had just come home from the hospital maybe a couple days before after having a um, complete hysterectomy. Okay. And oh. so um, I came home. She was fine and all that. And so when I told her, Oh my gosh, the tears. She was like, I'm not going to get mine anymore. Oh my oh, God. Oh, had, like, yeah. The circle oh. of life. Oh and it's God. beautiful. And then I passed it we, on to you. Yes. You got and mine. We, and then it was, we got to call your dad at work. And no. So, yeah. Oh. So, speaking of phones, you know, was when you had two lines, like I had to get on the line in the kitchen. Oh, no. She Lily, was on no. the line in the bed, in the bedroom. And oh we God. had to call. She's like, Tom, guess what? And you're like, oh, yay. Oh. And, oh. and Honestly, if she hadn't been bedridden, we probably would have, you know, gone out to Shakey's Pizza or something <laughs> yeah, to yeah. celebrate. So I want to share um, my, the story that my sister shared with me about the first time that she got her period. So my sister is four years younger than I am. And this Margaret moment takes place when she is in seventh grade and I'm a junior in high school. And so she was explaining that she had broken her ankle the week or two weeks before. So every day when she'd get home from school head into our sunken family room, turn on Love Connection, as she remembers. and two and two. It, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be back in two and two. Have some, like, nacho cheese Doritos or something. Just like every other afternoon, she's laying on the couch, has to go to the bathroom. And so she said she had this, like, system. She'd hobble over on her crutches to our powder room, which was very narrow and rectangular. And then she'd drop them, turn around, and hop backwards three steps. And that's oh how, my gosh. how she got to the toilet. So on this one particular day, she that she does this, sits down on the toilet, and as she said, Aunt Flo has was visiting with a vengeance. Like oh, this is her underwear is full. So I'm home. I've come home from school, and as she describes it, I immediately like grab a diet coke or a tab or something and go upstairs to my room and close the door. That's what I did every every day when I got home from school. My parents are at work, so she's having to yell to me to come help her with this situation. So finally, I get the message or whatever. And she said, Carolyn, you came down with a fresh pair of underwear for me and the largest maxi pad that I have ever seen. <laughs> it's in the history of maxi pads. And you kind of told me a little bit what to do. And she said that she was mortified as to what to do with this underwear that she had been wearing. And so I'm like, you just put it in the sink in cold water because that's what my mom had always done and that's what she had told us so the stain doesn't set yeah, in. Right, so she right, right. puts it in there and hobbles back to the couch, goes back to Love Connection. Dad comes home from work <gasps> and dad <laughs> says, how are you doing, you know, Ronnie? Okay, good. He goes to go to the bathroom and starts screaming and goes to the bottom of the stairs and was like, Carolyn, Get down here right now. I could have invited people over after work. And Ronnie said, she already knows I don't like her very much in her opinion. So she's like on the crutches trying to get up to my dad to say, no, dad, it wasn't Carolyn. It was me. He's yelling. She finally says that to him. And he turns to her and he's like, oh, my gosh, you're a woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
we're going to go to the Green Tree Inn tonight to celebrate. That was like our favorite Italian restaurant. And I and love evidently, your dad. I was like, oh, put That's off. So, so cute. That is my sister's Margaret moment story. And I, um, I wouldn't have gotten it right because I'm oh sure I would have thought I came flying down with some just this sisterly advice and put my arm around her and was like, now we're sisters, really? And she's like, I threw this maxi pad at her, told her to <laughs> dump her underwear in the sink and went back upstairs. <laughs> to your tab. Yeah, to my tab. Well, and her, I've got a cold tab upstairs. <laughs> I like how she says that you brought down the biggest maxi pad in the world. It was probably just like a normal size, regular right. maxi yeah. pad, mm-hmm. which which actually makes me think of our good friend and listener, Gail's Margaret moment that she shared with us. You guys listen to this. Hello, Carolyn, Kristen, and Michelle. This is your super fan, Gail. I will always be grateful to Margaret for showing me that I was normal. Before Margaret, I thought I was the only one who practiced wearing a maxi pad, also known as a feminine napkin. What did that even mean? Could you tell there was a puffy rectangle the size of my arm in my pants? And how did it look from behind when I wore my light tan corduroy Levi's? And why was I so much taller when I was sitting down? It was such a confusing time, but Margaret helped me cope. Thank you, Margaret, and thank you, Judy Bloom. Oh, oh my God, the, the concern size of my yes. arm. I know. Oh, and that concern, I remember in high school, I had these polyester uniform pants, these black polyester kind of butt-hugging pants. Oh, no. And I have a distinct memory of standing on my bed trying to look in the mirror when I had it on and trying to see, to see yeah. if you could see it and then calling my sister in and was like, Ronnie, can you see this? I mean, it was like the size of your palm back there. <laughs> right. And she said, yes. According to Gail, it was like a maxi pad booster seat, right? It's yeah. like yes. raising her up. I went to tampons right away because of that. And also I was in cheerleading and in dance and stuff. I didn't want to tell my mom that I was um, wanting to use tampons. It felt really embarrassing to me it to was, let your yes. mom know you were going to stick something up your you right. know okay. vagina. Mm-hmm. So I knew my mom used tampons because she was never secretive about mm-hmm. it. Like we yeah. had a very open, we could talk to my mom about anything, but that just felt very private and very weird. And so I went into her bathroom and I can picture it perfectly. And I opened up the instructions and on the instructions, it tells you to lay on your back with your yes. knees up. Yes. <laughs> but it's probably the only time in my life I did that. But you know, I was laying on my back with the paper up trying to read like it. A turtle. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gosh. Okay, next we heard from Megan McCafferty, who is the author of the Jessica Darling series. You probably remember that from, these are young adult books from the early 2000s, like 2006, I think was the first Jessica Darling. Big freaking deal. And Megan has the cutest story about how she found out about periods. Like many of our generation, the first time I heard anything about menstruation was when I read, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I was only in third grade, a voracious reader who had already zipped through all the age-appropriate books in the Bloom canon, so it was no surprise that I didn't get my facts straight. The most glaring error was how I thought my period was something that I'd get once in my life, and when the bleeding stopped, it was over and done with forever, much like the period at the end of a sentence. My punctuation-based misunderstanding was cleared up one summer afternoon, two years later, when my mom took me across the street to my best friend Adrian's house to watch a very special film strip borrowed from the local middle school. It was all about, you know, how Monarchy would open the one the door to the wonderful world of 
womanhood and there's like the soft rock soundtrack and a lot of golden backlit shots of long haired girls smiling, laughing, you know, all overtaken by the joy of menses. Um, it was in that film strip that I realized that um, my period was not a one and done situation, but that I would be getting my period, um, that I would bleed for about a week, every 28 to 30 days uh, for the rest of my life, which seemed, well, not the rest of my life, but, you know, for a very long time. Um, and that seemed very unfair, especially when boys got boners and wet dreams, which I also learned about from Judy Bloom. And then again, maybe I won't. That is unfair. It is unfair. I've always said that. Yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking they kind of enjoy the wet dream too. Oh, yeah. Right. And please tell me they don't enjoy the boners. I guess not if it's in public, but right. you know, there are times right. when they enjoy the boners. I, Megan, your mother though earns so many points. I love, I can just see Megan's very 70s, very woke mother, right? Going, you know what, to her friend across the street, let's borrow this film strip and get our girls <laughs> together, maybe get them, like, have some snacks out. Like, they took it into their own hands, not to just mm -hmm. tell them about periods, but to get a film strip. And also film that it's a film strip. strip. I can hear it going. So yes. they had to probably rent the projector, too. I mean, we didn't have yeah. film mm -hmm. strip projectors at home, so they went and got the whole, mm -hmm. um, the whole collection of stuff. Oh, my oh gosh. My great. So funny. We heard from another author, A.S. Green, also known as um, Anne. We'll just call her Anne. But you can find her books, A.S. Green. She writes supernatural romance. You can find them all over the place. And she told us a story about bra shopping. I loved the Margaret movie so much. And it conjured so many 1970s memories, particularly the bra shopping one. Um, after reading the book in fifth grade, my friends and I all made a pact to ask our moms to take us shopping for training bras, which... Side note, always made me think of boobs bouncing around a track to the Olympics theme song. Anyway, I didn't want to be the only one who chickened out, so I bit the bullet and I asked, which resulted in the most embarrassing shopping trip of all time. Um, I wore my new training bra to school the next week under three layers of shirts and was furious when none of my friends had gotten up the courage to ask. Totally betrayed by her friends. And you know what's so funny is that she told me that she actually, for whatever reason, wanted to impose this same injustice upon her own daughter, like the horror show of going bra shopping. And it totally backfired because when she brought her own daughter bra shopping, her daughter was like, excuse me, ma'am, this size doesn't work for me. Can you hand me, excuse me, mom, mom, could you get me another, get me a bigger one, mom, mom. And her daughter had no shame whatsoever. And Anne oh was like, gosh. what is happening? Oh, gosh. I, yeah, I remembered uh, my first bra shopping experience, much like Margaret's. But what made me think I needed a bra was first gym class day of sixth grade, and we changed clothes for the first time in a locker room. You guys, I took off my shirt, and everybody else who took off their shirts, they all had bras on. It's like I hadn't gotten the memo. It was uh -oh. mortifying. <laughs> and if you guys know nothing else about me, you know that I don't like being the different one. Mm -hmm. I like fitting in and being like the crowd. 
Oh my gosh. So I immediately went home and had a almost identical Margaret experience when I went bra shopping with the woman that's taking out the tape measure and then going and getting these boxes. The boxes. The boxes. The boxes. Yeah. um, Yeah. And so I can, I can relate. It's, that's traumatizing. You needed a friend like Nancy to go around and snap your back to make sure you had a, Mm -hmm. had a bra on. Well, speaking of bras and getting your bras and getting the box of bras, our little sister, Lori, we, she is one of the hosts of the Untitled Gen X podcast, which we've talked about before. We call it our little sister podcast. We love Lori. She was born in 1976, so she could be our little sister. Um, and she shared a story about the occasion that she was the recipient of her first bras, and it's, it's mortifying. Here you go. Hey, it's your kid sister, Lori, from the Untitled Gen X podcast. Do I have a bra story for you? Okay, picture it. It was 1988, Christmas Day. I'm sitting around the Christmas tree with my mom and my dad. And something you want to know about me is I was very, very shy about my changing body. I was not ready for puberty. Puberty was not ready for me. We were not friends. And so... You know, my mom hands me this beautifully wrapped Christmas gift, and I go to open it, so excited, and it's a box of training bras. So what did I do? I did what any 12-year-old would do. I screamed and cried and ran to my room, and I did not want to rejoin the family or ever look my dad in the eyes again. Like, really, mom? Bras? As a Christmas present? No. And that, my friends, is not how it's done. That is not okay. That is not okay. You could have just slipped those to to Lori, Mom, like in private, especially because we know Mom mom, mom had to know how Lori felt about her growing body. Her changing body, as she says. Lori, we're sorry. So here's a funny story. This comes from our good friend, Erica Wides, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times. Erica is... Um, an actress. She's a commercial actress. She's a chef. She's a, a teacher. Uh, you know her from the hilarious cooking and uh, social media, funny people making food. She remembers to this day that in the book, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, Margaret's mother heard her mom sniffing her armpits. And that would indicate she knew the weather was changing when she heard her mom sniffing her armpits. In actuality, in the book, Judy Bloom says, I caught my mom sniffing her armpits. But isn't that funny how we, um, you know, for, for decades, Erica has thought that mm-hmm. Margaret heard her mom sniffing her armpits so and much I so. I did too. For oh, so did you too? Yes, I did too. Why? would that's well, a, That doesn't make any sense. But that makes, that's what I thought, that she heard her mom sniffing her armpits. And that's how we meet Margaret's mother. Erica has, this has been in her brain and in her, in her memory, so much so that she actually conducted an experiment <laughs> with her sister. Listen to this. Hey gals, it's Erica, your BFF. Um, Okay, so like literally I could recite Margaret by heart still pretty much, even though I haven't read it maybe since like 1980. Like the second I got my period, I was like, yeah, okay, Margaret, I get it. We're done. But the thing that stands out to me is that opening thing where Margaret wakes up and knows it's warm out because she can hear her mother sniffing her armpits in the next room um, about like, should she put on deodorant? Okay, so first of all, I was like, what? Like. 
how could she hear that? Like, if you're just going sniff, sniff, you know, it's one thing. But if her mother was like, you know, like her mom was like doing lines of blow in the bathroom, like maybe. So I was like, "Mm, not so sure. So I actually tested it out. I made my sister go in the bathroom and sniff. And we lived in a very small house. So I would have heard her, but you cannot hear her. Okay. So like everything Judy Bloom has ever written said to me is like gospel law, like the truth. But that scene, uh, nope, no, Judy. You can't hear someone sniffing their armpits in the next room. I'm sorry. Now, as a very prematurely smelly child, I also was like, why wouldn't her mom just automatically put the deodorant on every day regardless? Because, you know, it might get warm. You might smell later. And having been sort of caught without deodorant a few times and embarrassed by B.O., I was like, "Mm, Margaret's mom, you better get on it. (laughs) I love that she makes her sister go in the other room and sniff. But how interesting that that one tiny scene, which is not extensive and has nothing to do with any plot, painted such a picture in our minds. Because yeah. I, too, like did some acrobatics trying to figure out how she could hear her mom and also picturing her mom sticking her nose in her armpit, like how that would actually work. And I didn't know that smelling was something that came with puberty, too. So I'm like, why are we even talking about this? And I can remember very vividly, I remember that part of the book because she mentions it a couple of times in the book. And yeah. I remember that I used to do that to see like, oh, like, oh, you know, when sure. I started smelling, when you started having underarm odor. And I remember feel, feeling very validated by that part in the book. Like, oh, even mom, like her mom's even doing it. Like, because I was <laughs> oh, really yeah. embarrassed. Like if my armpit smelled and maybe it was oh, before I was- well, didn't you um, do this? Like, pretend- Oh, maybe this is just what? me. Do you do well, that Mary Catherine like, Gallagher scratch thing? my back. No, I'd be oh. like, oh, I have, a, I have an itch oh my in my back. <laughs> oh, that's smart. <laughs> she's doing it right now. Yeah. She's like sticking, scratching her back and sticking yeah. her nose in the her Mary, The Mary Catherine Gallagher where you put your fingers oh, in your God. wet armpits yeah. and smell them. You yeah. know, that's no. that's relatable. What? I still mm-hmm. do that sometimes. <laughs> and when I'm nervous, I stick my fingers in my armpits and I rub. And then I go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You guys, this is what this movie has done. It's brought us out of the shadows so we can talk about these completely normal and utterly universal experiences out loud without whispering. I am so grateful and relieved that this movie was good. It could have been so mediocre, especially in the hands of someone from a different era or like when there were no women directors, right? That would have been bad. Maybe Judy Bloom had to wait 50 years so that a woman could be at the helm, someone with a uterus. And placing the movie in 1970 was the cherry on top, giving it a backdrop that feels nostalgic and adds so much visual interest that makes it more fun for everyone, not just the people who remember 1970. Go see this movie. Thank you, Kelly Freeman Craig, for making this happen. And thank you, Judy Bloom, for all of the things. <laughs> for everything. 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 Thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening. We had such a great time today talking about the Margaret movie and our Margaret moments, and we'll continue some of that discussion in this week's Weekly Reader, along with links to some of the voices that we featured in today's episode. And this week, we are sharing some of our favorite finds, so be sure and subscribe if you are not already. You can do that by visiting our website at poppreservationists.com or at our link in bio on Instagram. 
You guys, this was such a fun start to a new season, being able, the three of us, to not only talk about one of our very favorite books, Margaret, but to talk about puberty and puberty stories. I can and our new favorite movie. All damn day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we are so grateful to all of you who listen and share things, your fun stories with us. And for those of you who take the time to rate and review our podcast um, where you listen, because it's really, really helpful to us. And of course, we have to thank our supporters on Patreon because they are quite honestly what keep us trucking. Today, we're giving a special shout out to patrons Joanne, Amy, Stephanie, Mel, Lydia, and Susie. You guys, you're amazing. You're just amazing. Yes. <laughs> honestly, so though. Much. <laughs> There's it's only true. so many ways we can say it every time, but we appreciate, we appreciate all of you. We really do. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. Woohoo! The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Something always happens whenever we're together. We get a happy feeling when we're singing.